Hello and welcome to a new episode of Count Her In. Today we are super honored and excited to have Porva on the podcast today. She's the founder and CEO of Good Good Piggy. Um, but we love to ask our guests on Count Her In, what is something that you are bringing to the table, whether it's figuratively or literally? I think literally it's coffee and uh, figuratively it's good coffee conversation. I love that. Also, something we were just chatting before we got started, but we were talking about India. One thing that is so iconic to India that I have not even thought about in like a year now, Cafe Coffee Day. And it's had to be saying that oh. quickly, the famous like chain of coffee in India, Cafe Coffee Day, but no one says it that slowly. You have to say Cafe Coffee Day, right? <laughs> we yeah. often abbreviate it and we call it CCD. So if you oh. would see youngsters, oh, you know what? You want to go and grab uh, a coffee at CCD? Uh, it's even shorter, right? <laughs> That's we, we're the youngsters. We like to short up whatever it is. Uh, shorten everything up. That's awesome. I love the coffee chat vibe. I think that's so sweet. And like, I think now with even Zoom and COVID, everyone's like, hey, you want to hop on like a coffee chat Zoom? Like people want it to be casual. No one wants to say a meeting. Everyone says coffee chat. On a quick note about coffee, the history of coffee and like <laughs> coffee houses is the most fascinating thing. One of my high school friends, I used to be part of like public speaking and debate. Um, and he did a whole persuasive speech about why coffee houses are like a necessary part of society. So definitely recommend like checking it out and like learning more about like the culture of coffee houses and the culture behind coffee, which is pretty cool. And like how it connects people from across the world. That's awesome. Waylon, what are you bringing to the table today? Figuratively. What am I bringing to the table today? Um, today I am bringing, my desk is such a mess right now. I am like haphazardly like looking around for things but I recently like like literally 10 minutes ago I made myself an Earl Grey cup of tea um it is also like 31 degrees like it's super hot where I am right now um but it's like piping hot I put a little oat milk in so super excited for that and then figuratively I think I'm gonna bring energy today that's something that I definitely need a lot of today um and I hope to bring to the table what about you Allie? So I had dinner a couple hours ago. I'm here in Shanghai. I made myself like a little steak salad thing, but then I had one of my favorite like snacks about an hour or two ago, which is like cut up apple with like nut butter, like almond butter, peanut butter. Like that is such a good snack. Like A, it's delicious. B, it's easy. C, it's tasty. Four, it's healthy. Like just all together. Highly recommend that peanut butter with apples, just so, so, so good. So that's what I'm giving. But with that as well, like I want to bring some sweetness today. I think it's too often we see like a lot of like bitterness on the news and a lot of negativity. And what I love about the snack is like, although it's healthy and like helpful for you, like we think news is, it's also sweet. So to show that like, you can also get like nutrition, which is the things like you need, but also being sweet. So that's what I hope to bring today. Some sweetness. I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, to get us started, we would love to hear like the quick TLDR of, um, of your company and your journey as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. I think, thank you girls for inviting me in to this conversation. Uh, well, I'm the founder of Good Good Piggy, also the first female solopreneur in India to enter the children online banking and wallet space. Uh, you asked me what is Good Good Piggy? Well, it's India's first disruptive ed fintech startup for pre-teenagers, um, quite simply a digital piggy bank and behavioral rewards platform. Uh, so 
that's what Good Good Piggy is. That's what I'm building as an entrepreneur. A glimpse into my past would be that I was born and brought up in New Delhi. My early career was in management consulting and risk advisory services for top accounting firms uh, like a BDO, Grand Throtin. Then I went uh, to do my master's in the UK and this was in investment banking where I worked for a private equity investment advisory company. I also wrote in this space of private equity for a leading publication in London. And uh, this was all targeted, targeted towards institutional investors. I'm one of the very few uh, global top young leaders and entrepreneurs who form impact gen talent with Sigma Squared Society, which is supported by Richard Branson, Bill Clinton. So you would say that a lot of what I do is oriented towards solving problems for the new generation. And that's what my focus is on. Um, as an ambassador for women in tech in India, I am trying to open up a global ecosystem which comes from a non-for-profit based in Paris and is there in more than 30 countries here in India as well. And the idea is to impact over 1 million women in India and hopefully 5 million together as a global movement. So that's a snippet about me and that's what I bring to the table with my coffee today and happy to answer any questions that you have. That's amazing. And I love that you went into not so much like the nitty gritty of finance, because sometimes people get really scared or intimidated by finance because of like all the, the industry lingo and that sort of thing. Like, I love that um, from Renova, it's very accessible and all. So talk to me about how you've been able to sort of position what you're doing around education and to both empower people to become in a financial independent person without having them like isolated or being told like they don't know enough? Like how do you empower someone to know their own financial journey? Well, I think a lot about experts in the world, like you spoke about, you know, finance being something really complicated. Uh, I think it's, it's even good study where experts love to be called experts and they do that and they create that wall or that gap by using jargons and lingos, right? And that's what makes a lot of, uh, experience and expertise difficult for people to understand and uh, you know I have a feeling that you know this should be very much accessible with good good piggy we're trying to reverse the you know downturn trend of global uh, I mean decline in terms of money values on financial literacy which is there in generations that you can see a lot of it if you ask me why that is is because you know, while the world is changing, generations are also changing. So if you would notice for fact that um, today uh, the macro environment is uh, put up in a way where financial innovation, financial technology, fintechs are offering a whole lot of um, a huge environment or I think a lot of innovation where traditional costs and structures in the economies of major countries have gone towards being cashless, right? Where whether it's e-wallets, whether it's mining, whether it's the new uh, currencies which have become assets like cryptocurrencies, what's really happening on a large level is with all of this cash or physical cash is getting marginalized. And, you know, in general, you already see that macro trend being really strong in a USA, in a much developed country uh, like a China or a 
Australia or of France. But what we also know is all of that is trickling down in emerging countries across the world. And, uh, you know, with everybody across the world giving more importance to convenience, giving importance to saving time, giving importance to the fact that you can just tap and pay. Um, what's really happening is that the new generation, what I call, uh, what everybody says is Gen Alpha, Gen Beta, irrespective, is going towards adopting cashless ways. And for many logics, I think, why would you do that? Uh, I would do that because uh, there is a level of protection for theft. I would do that because it's convenient. I would do that because I have record of what I'm doing or transactional records. So for many reasons or for many benefits and bonuses we get when we spend online, what's really happening is uh, we are opting for a cashless economy. Uh, and what's the downside of it is that's impacting behavior. It's impacting behavior in a way that we all know that debt levels are increasing across the world. Credit is becoming a big problem for uh, major, in, I mean, for economies, for individuals. There is a general tendency of overspending when it comes to digital side. So those are problems across on the behavior side of things that we see that money values and financial in literacy is kind of going down oecd world bank all of these major institutions are topping talking about it with good good piggy we are trying to innovate that place trying to reinvent um, a tool which we have used for generations to solve it so uh, piggy bank is something which we see across countries across cultures across uh, demographics as a tool which has been used at a very early age to I think, influence good financial behavior. And that's what we have picked up as a solution. That's what we are innovating at. And that's where Good Good Piggy is India's first ed fintech solution. I love oh that. Yeah, so many things to unpack there. I think that the first thing I want to know is that Ali definitely understands like the cashless society. I know China is like pretty much all cashless. I don't think she's like picked up a dollar or like a piece of cash, if you will, like in ages and I I think the fast-paced nature of that <laughs> is definitely that's something like that's interesting to me especially because China's demographic and their socioeconomic spectrum is so large that like the the it's easy for some people to adopt but I know that there are like certain like parts of China where the cashless society is really hindering um, their ability to integrate with the rest of the cities, um, especially in like villages and things. So definitely loved your insights into the cashless society. In fact, I'm impressed um, you said stuff about yeah. China, right? I mean, with Renminbi, with, with the experiments that have happened with yeah. digital currencies, I think it's a big test. Look at it from the angle where central banks across the world are looking into digital currencies over the past year. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the fact that these institutions which run countries are understanding the declining cash usage and growing interest towards digital currencies, digital solutions like a wallet, uh, e-payment gateways, etc. I mean, cryptocurrency is another disputed conversation, but uh, not going into that, we know for a fact that, you know, these, even in India, look at it, RBI, which is the Central Bank for India, is planning to test their digital currency in uh, coming winter. So, um, you know, there's, there is that bit where across countries all uh, of you know uh, central banks are looking into some sort of solution which pushes us to go and accelerate the next level of cashless or invisible 
instant money environment that would you know there be and let me tell you girls one more bit that you know this is something which is not new oecd which is checking financial literacy uh, in g20 countries has already predicted this trend in 2002 what wow. we see is it getting realized right now okay. uh to the fact that we as a common man accept it and as perhaps an entrepreneur innovate it to solve problems that are there uh in the in economies right now so um these trends are there they were well predicted and we just see them um you know growing uh as part of a you know as part of many countries together as part of a global uh, i would say trend and the downside of it is that it impacts behaviors uh, when money becomes invisible or instant uh, what really happens for the new generation is that they have never actually interacted with money right so gen alpha is just born into a world they're digital natives completely who don't see money don't interact with money and then uh, we would agree and i think it's scientifically proven when you do spend online when you do interact with money online or digitally it's absolutely different behavior so 100%. and doing it with cash is absolutely different so this is where we want to cover the gap as a company we want to make sure that while existingly even with the cash trend uh, financial literacy is a huge problem across the world parents don't want to talk about it perhaps because money itself is a very insecure topic for anybody right we are all mm-hmm. racing rat racing to do it it's a burdening topic is what parents say and on the other hand research says that money personality is set by the age of 7 and uh, when parents oh, ask wow. why you don't want to talk about it by the age of 7 university of cambridge has done this research years ago uh, is we don't want to talk about it. we perhaps you know associate the money talk by a teenager level or more senior but it has to really start definitely early and to do it early it needs to be fun it needs to be cool it needs to be easy um I often give this example uh, which is I don't know if you guys have watched Popoy on Cartoon Network right what it really did years ago was made the nutrition talk really easy for kids to do you know where mm-hmm. you don't want to eat spinach or greens but your mom would tell you you know what Popoy eats it you yeah. know uh, <laughs> and you would you would buy into it and that's what we have to do for kids now with money not being there just make sure that they can talk about it mm-hmm. i gifted my nephew a piggy bank and nobody had coins to put in it right uh, how would you talk yeah. about money if he doesn't have coins yeah. to put in a piggy mm-hmm. bank Oh my goodness. So, yeah, I think it's I've, so fascinating. Yeah. I yeah, I just so much to say. Oh my goodness. First on the China note. Yeah, like Waylon got spot on. Like I got here in November and I've not touched cash since then. Like everything was on QR code. And Purva, you make such a good point. Like this generation doesn't know what tr- cash feels like. So, a lot of my friends were like it doesn't like you put 100 koi, like it doesn't feel like 100. You put the cash out of your wallet. It's like it feels like nothing, right? I have formed pretty strict money habits because my dad's an FCPA and he had me doing like budgets when I was like 7 years old so I totally agree with you on the fact that like you really form your habits when you're earlier so I track all my things but you're right like even seeing in China like I'm having a lot of conversations with my friends here in the fintech industry who we've saw the WeChat and the Alibaba page just completely completely take over um but now that's I'm like I'm going to call it now like that's going to be gone away super soon because now the ECNY is coming out which is run by the government 
And sellers would rather have an ECNY than the Alipay WeChat because they give a 0.0003% or something like crazy like that, which is nothing, but that's more than zero, right? And ECNY can happen overnight because there's 300 million people who are paid either directly or indirectly by the Chinese government. So if the Chinese government says we are going to be doing ECNY, the entire country will be doing ECNY. And one country actually in Purvam, and Waylon, I'm curious if you guys know about this, Bahamas is the first and only country completely e-currency, right? What do you guys think about that? Oh, yeah. No, I think it's super interesting, especially getting that perspective. <clears throat> this is on a slightly different note from the Bahamas, but the cross-generational gap between parents who know what money feels like and have handled money all their life, and also kids who are entering a world where that may not be the same experience, and kind of how your company is bridging those gaps and understanding that there are cross-generational gaps and being able to bridge it in a place that feels comfortable and also fun for kids to learn about money. I come from a family that does not have like anyone working in the finance industry. So learning about money and learning how to take care of money was definitely something my parents wanted me to learn. I, my dad always tells me like, he wishes he started investing earlier. He wishes that he like budgeted, like he taught us how to budget earlier on. So I definitely resonate with the message that your company is sending, but I would love to hear your thoughts on like the Bahamas going completely um, to online payments and also the general trend towards that and how Good Good Piggy is helping to bridge the gap globally. Well, it's very interesting. You know, when you talk about kids learning or interacting about money, the first thing that they generally do it, and I'm sure you both will agree, was through a piggy bank, right? When you're four or five years old, that's the only way you do it. But with the old piggy banks, what we used to do was just learn about savings. With Good Good Piggy, what we have done when we reinvented it is that it can teach digitally, which is very important. Like I really underline that digitally, teach the entire money management equation, which is beyond just savings is goes into uh you know taking out your saving goals but also understanding how you spend to be able to earn that money and value that money right because uh, right now kids don't even think parents i mean they're just given stuff out of guilt where both right. parents are working it's pandemic none of them are going out and then out of guilt you're just showered with uh, pocket money and gifts and all of that and you totally miss out on the fact that there is a lot of hard work of value attached to what that is so definitely be able to earn money and that is done through improving their own self because what else how does a five-year-old really earn money for him or her to be improving on their personal learning curve is the best accomplishment for them to do so as long as you're learning a new skill improving a bad habit, uh, you know, being regular at what you're doing and behaviorally becoming into somebody which will, uh, you know, be a good person in the long run, you're able to earn your pocket money. So that uh, be able to donate as well as then be able to co-invest with a parent. What's really happened across generations is, you know, till now, the fact that parents take the burden of securing your long-term financial future and this conversation of investing is always between the couple and statistically yeah. it happens between the age of four and nine where parents start thinking about oh you know what she's going to go for college or he's going to go for college let's put out a fund mm -hmm. let's start investing but what really happens is because the child is always unaware when we grow up we have a problem behaviorally to 
to part with wealth or money now or today to secure our financial future. We all know we should be investing, but we all fall into the fact that we want to instantly gratify ourselves and nobody wants to part away with money or, you know, for your future, just look at it on a day-to-day basis. And that's the reality of this social media generation, instant yeah. uh, gratification generation, and also the environment, which is promoting a lot of high spending, a lot of lifestyle, yeah. all mm-hmm. of that. But, sure. So behaviorally it's important for the child to start co-investing with a parent uh, to be able to learn that you know what at an early age you're supposed to part away with that little money out of your pocket money notionally um, I'm sure it's not it's not going to make up a huge part of what that payment is for your lifetime security but even if it is I think 1% or 2% of that payment, uh, notionally or behaviorally, it is adding a mental note in your, I think, upbringing that that's important. So what Good Good Piggy is doing is taking just what an old piggy bank did with savings, but definitely making sure that you're able to learn the entire money management equation digitally, right? Because that's the future. And we want to be serving the future of money. We want to be a solution for the new generation. And The greatest fact about this is that if I talk to you about where and who these kids are, then demographically, the most amount of kids will be in China, India, Indonesia. Mm -hmm. That's where the children of the world are. And the kind of innovation I'm talking about might already be there in a USA, in a UK, in Australia, a developed country. But for emerging countries and for this side of the globe, uh, these kind of conversations or tools are still not there and that's where the kids or the future of tomorrow will be so that's how we uh, are a solution at the moment which begin in India we are doing our beta testing in India at the moment but definitely if I talk about expansion then it has to do a lot about where kids will be where you know the generation of tomorrow will be yeah for sure absolutely amazing I think something I would love to hear more about like growing up Um, My parents would always point out examples of kids, um, like, I forgot their names, but they were these two siblings, and uh, one was five and one was seven, um, and the five-year-old saved all of his money to buy a bike, but the seven-year-old was always just, like, buying chocolate, and, like, that was, like, the scenario my dad would always tell me growing up. He was like, you want to save so that you can buy something bigger, something that lasts, Um, but I also do understand that a lot of parents feel like a five-year-old like can't take that responsibility. Like money is like too much responsibility for a five-year-old to handle. How are you coping with like these mindsets of parents who are not willing necessarily to like give up that responsibility or like share that responsibility with their kids? What would you say to them? I would just break it into two parts. First part where you said that it's important for a child to know that what is he saving towards? So mm-hmm. I think that decision making has to come early on. And that's what parents, I think we are doing something which has done has been done for generations. We are just taking a really old offline behavior of ch- parents parting financial knowledge uh, and financial decision making and just making it online, just making sure that they can, you know, just do it digitally. And one of it is the fact that today, if you talk about it, it's the world of Amazon. It's the world of Alipay. It's the world where you have been uh, pushed to a fact that the the basics of finance are are about delaying your gratification. Is about running. Uh, money in a system and letting compounding work uh, so that you know it multiplies but unfortunately with the environment of the world with e-shopping e-commerce all of that bit what's happened is you're in that 
click sensitivity where you know you press the button and it arrives at your doorstep tomorrow morning, right? It, it, it comes the same day, which is absolutely against what uh, financial uh, wisdom is of delaying gratification. Today, generation is pu pushed into believing about instant gratification. So definitely that choice making on where you want to spend, what your saving goal should be, really helps them learn this fact that, okay, you know what, you can just say no to buying those chocolates for you to buy those that big bike. Uh, and, you know, it's really important the child can navigate through it. The second part which you asked me is, who's taking these decisions? How is that happening? I mean, a five-year-old is too young to be calling out these shots which is true. That's why I think Good Good Piggy is their first fintech experience, which in a fun, visually exciting way, cartoonized format, allows them to go through that general you know, uh, discussion, which they do, which you do about buying chocolates over bikes and all of that with parents offline, but do it online because that's where it matters now. And the fact that this is also an edtech solution for parents, that's what we say. It's India's first ed fintech into play. Fintech on the side of the child where it's his first experience in a very fun way, uh, cartoonized way. But edtech for the parent because the full control, transparency is lying with the parent to be able to influence the child towards learning a new skill set, improving his behavior, uh, taking the right choices. So. In this product, what has really happened is the entire autonomy control is in the hands of the parent. As an app, we do not at all tell how to raise your child. Parenting is always customized. It depends from where you come from, what's your background, what your environment is, what your nutrition. I mean, so many aspects that make uh, onto what parenting is. So we can't really standardize that. We can only allow for a parent to use it as a tool to be able to use it in any customized or personalized way that they would like to. So all of the decisions in the entire money management equation are done by the parent. It is only the child under an illusion that he is doing it. So what you're saving for you need to ask the parent to approve it right yes or no you know whether i can be really uh, be saving for those uh, jordans or should i be saving up for a drum kit the parent decides that uh, what you are uh, told and how you earn that money whether you're learning a new skill set such as learning french or you are learning uh, i don't know beatboxing it's up to the parent to decide that um, where you're investing it's up to the parent to uh, you know where you're spending what orders you're making i think all of it uh, is happening through the parent also you know with respect to gdpr and data compliances we cannot be uh, and we don't want to be recording data for the child. So definitely this is a tool for the parent. He comes in and he is using this tool. It's only the child who is illusion to believe at a young age that he's calling those shots. That is so, so, so amazing. I love the idea of like control as well, because I don't think as a child, they're expected to have like full control over all their finances. It should be more of like a spectrum and over time you're given more, but it shouldn't just be from like zero to a hundred. It's not like, oh, I've never touched money in my life, 18th birthday. Oh, by the way, here's your entire financial portfolio. Like there needs to be education over time. I'd love to touch again about that idea of like how social media has played a role in this as well, because um, Purva, I think you make a good point that a lot of social media influencers and things like that gratify and highlight this instant gratification of buying these products and you need to buy it immediately, fast fashion, all that sort of thing. But I think also social media has opened up another end as well. There's a bunch of social media accounts and YouTubers, like I know Ali Abdal, for example, who posts great content about like investing and how to handle your finances, which I don't think was open to the public before, before 
uh, social media, I think a lot of handling your finances was either like a, like the finance men's club and the elitist thing, unless you knew someone in the finance industry or your parents were in there, you didn't know these tips. But now I think social media is doing a great job with sharing tips, social media, even TikTok has great content where people share. So I would say, yes, on one end, I do think people do gratify this, like, oh my gosh, you need to buy this new shirt immediately for sure, or else your life will be over, of course. But I also think there is a definitely communities and people who look for it will find them of financial advisement and tips and things like that. Have you been able to explore those or use those to your advantage? Of course, I think this is a great question. You know, the dichotomy of social media uh, or the dichotomy even for uh, channels like YouTube or TikTok. The fact with the dichotomy is that there is no control over where that, I mean, if from the perspective of a child, where he or she is navigating to, and there is no access or transparency for the parent to be able to see that. A lot in uh, the coronavirus pandemic time has happened that kids are doing schooling online. So the entire fashion of being, uh, of studying has become video-based, right? Unfortunately, uh, books have been turned into video conversations. I have noticed in some schools, kids are also getting homework wherein they have to watch certain YouTube content and you know comment on it, also create YouTube content. Um, so a lot of education has become video-based. In this aspect, what has happened is while the child will be told to watch a video, uh, unfortunately, over a few clicks, he can maneuver into some other line of conversation completely. My nephew, um, I came to know about this through my nephew. I gave him a Calvin Klein shorts. I just bought him a new pair of shorts. He was really happy getting Calvin Klein. And I never understood what was that excitement about. Did he know what the brand is? That's why he's feeling happy about it. And uh, over conversation, the four-year-old told me that he's happy because he thinks he was wearing Calvin and Karis. I said, who is Calvin and Karis? And I come to know Calvin and Karis is an Indonesian YouTuber who is five-year-old unboxing no. uh, gifts and unboxing toys for kids. So Calvin is uh, one guy, Karis is his young brother, four and three-year-old. And the mother of those YouTuber kids would be giving them branded Calvin and Karis uh, t-shirts on the YouTube channel. So my nephew was under impression that he's wearing that YouTuber's uh, brand, That's not Calvin Klein at all, right? And I had no idea till this conversation that he's watching Indonesian content and no wonder he gets to know where that expensive toy is released, when it was released. And I would always know how the hell does he know that a new tower <laughs> came out of Power Patrol or a new whatever came out, right? How does he come to know? The fact that you cannot at all trace where their fingers lead them to over, over clicks. And Good Good Piggy kind of solves it. We have a feature which is called the Video Garage Video Mix feature. Uh, in that, the parent can create a playlist that they want the child to watch. And it could be about you learning baking, and different types of dishes within that playlist. It could be about you learning a new language. It could be you picking up, I don't know, yoga. It could be anything that the parent would like you to basically make part of your education curve, uh, skill building or hobby building, however that would be for a parent. And then pick that up with saying, okay, you get, and that's how it is, right? In old school parenting, you know, you tell your mom, mom, I want a new phone. And mom tells you, yeah, first go and get good grades. And then if you're the topper of the class, I'll get you the new phone. Uh, and that's exactly what you do here. You, you're able to tell the child, as long as you're watching this content, you know, and I can see that in you, I will be able to approve your pocket money. 
right? And uh, that's something that parents have done all the time <laughs> with, with generations. So, but there is at least a way now for them to know what you're watching, to be able to influence what you're watching and uh, to kind of know that a few clicks will not lead you somewhere else where they have no idea of. So uh, that's the dichotomy of social media as well, where as long as you're watching great content, it's great. I mean, as a parent, we are proud of you. As a caregiver, we are proud of you. But if you're slipping on to something where, you know, we, we see innovations going wrong, you know, games telling kids to jump and they jump off buildings. And all of that is true as well, right? No, In definitely. reality, we have to learn about the internet or the technology. Yeah. Yeah, and there was actually just two pieces of news in the uh, lately that I saw. One in the UK, social media is like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and things like that were forced to put legislation on limits for students and sort for kids. So, for example, I know like TikTok, the app like won't work after a certain time in the UK. We'll have to fully check that, but it's around those lines. But something big that just came out in China yesterday and today was now gaming companies, which are just a whole other beast, especially in China. I have a friend in the gaming industry, and it is. I've never been a gamer myself, but like the universe of gaming is ridiculous. Like you live in a completely different universe, hours spent on that. Like you live a completely different virtual life. Um, but the Chinese government just put a ban that student, that people under I think 18 or like students or kids are not able to play for more than three hours in a week. And like they- Which is great. I mean, in India, yeah. there is a ban which has taken place, which talks about how you cannot anymore target mark, I mean, target ads to anybody who's under 16 or 18. I'm not sure what that is, but definitely not target ads towards that generation who's online uh, on social media platforms. And I was in fact reading a book called Mind Change by Susan Greenfield. And she's a behavioral scientist talking about how digital technologies are completely changing how your mind is. When I talk about the nine there were enough people talking about oh you know what they're going to be a climate change and then the generation was not listening about it right till the fact today you see climate change right in front of you it's something that will not happen after you die it's happening right here right now and now you accept climate change to be a thing in the same way she's talking about how mind is changing and while you realize that it's not changing because of digital technologies interference you will apparently i think in a few years absolutely agree that the generation today is really different from uh, I would say digital migrants or immigrants you know where where they were in a non-tech world and then slowly moved towards tech and then there's a, there are those which are digital natives just born into the tech world from day zero and mind itself the brain itself biologically is changing yeah absolutely. For sure. I think one of the things I love about the company that you're creating is this idea of tying habits and like making it really fun. Because I think that like culturally money and finances and accounting are things that are stereotypically not considered fun activities. And I love how you guys are kind of changing the environment behind it, but also being very conscious of different parenting styles of the content and like the environment that these kids are in. So I really like this idea of how they like have this video garage and they can watch like certain videos. Um, I honestly want to get on the platform too. I feel like I'm a little old for it, but like that just sounds like an amazing like environment for kids to be on and like learn and develop skills from a young age. I kind of want to pivot our conversation um, and talk a little bit more about your journey and um the work that you're doing as a solopreneur. 
Um, to be honest, before we hopped on this call, I did not, like, I've never heard of this idea of a solopreneur. So I would love to hear your definition and how you've kind of seen um, you be like the forefront of this, of this solopreneurship. So uh, Good Good Piggy was a very uh, incidental, um, I would say, discovery in the pandemic. When I came back from London, I was carrying a piggy bank for my nephew. And I thought it could be a great time because he just started to learn numbers, you know, to give him a piggy bank. That's when we got a piggy bank. And, uh, you know, he took that gift and he went around the room where we had all millennials and Gen Z sitting in asking for people to put coins and nobody had it. I am a researcher and intellectual by, by my soul, I would say. I just researched on it and, you know, could see that that's not a, like, it, it's not my gift failing. It's the fact that generationally or on a larger scale, that's a macro trend on what's happening across the world. And in, in all of this, um, for almost a year, I was just researching and not being able to sleep on it. One thing is that my background was a lot to do with finance, but not technology. But to be able to create a product, to be able to create a digital product, you definitely need a tech partner. Uh, and that's what stops entrepreneurs, right? Where you first need to create a team in order to create something that you want to create. And that itself is a huge curve it, it, it's time taking it requires you to go you know just without even having anything in your hand with just an idea to be able to get people along with you which was a great thing to do but what really happened in my journey was I overnight with the help of my brother created a concept website and that just spoke about the problem it just spoke about what this issue is what it means, what is changing, exactly what we just went through. And I was just sharing it in my investment network and India's largest venture builders took a bite in it. Uh, what was great was that they agreed to the fact that I could be a solo founder. I didn't need a tech partner and they would help me with a tech team who would take this idea, of course, you know, run over many frameworks, which talk about idea validation, business model validation, doing a product market fit, founder market fit to be able to do traction and basically take what is a thought run it through many frameworks and then be able to test it as an MVP. And that's where the concept of solopreneur comes in where yes, you are building this uh, as a solopreneur and you have a small team of people who you work with, but all of that is possible over time because uh, you know, there are, I think I would say ecosystem partners who can enable that sort of development for you. So that's how my journey has been as a female solopreneur in this space. Definitely. Um, it was a story where, uh, you know, when I was researching on competitors, what I saw was all of these people were really, you know, all my competitors across the world, they, it was a male dominated, dominated founder community, you know, all old people, all definitely men, very skewed towards seeing no females. And then you have these doubts whether you should really enter into a market which has to do with fintech which has to do with edtech and then do it um being a solopreneur uh you know you know you have the right people with you you know you have india's largest venture builders you know your convertible note is 200 subscribed you know that you have the uh, you know you have investors who are interested you you have everything in check but yet there is a level of self-doubt or a need for external validation because you are standing as the only 
female solopreneur in this space and definitely a young female solopreneur in this space. And uh, I think that is where I often speak about it, uh, you know, even in the women in tech community, which I had in India, that you know, we have to first learn to listen to our inner voice to be able to battle anything that is outside. And that's what I did. And that's how that entire journey took place where yes, uh, we are, uh, you know, in development, we are beta testing, there's an early access page out, there are communities who, of parents who are interested in this uh, product, uh, you know, all of those validations are in place, as long as you believe in the fact that you want to do it, and you want to test it out. I love that so much. <laughs> and I think on that note, too, I would love to hear more about how you define failure and what it means to like deal with failure in your journey. Because as an entrepreneur, failure is inevitable. But um, I would love to hear like your take on failure and one piece of advice you give for young Gen Z female entrepreneurs. Absolutely. I think uh, a lot about a person or a product or a company is a sum of experiences and inexperiences, right? Where definitely failure is experience uh, and you're not being able to do it correctly is an experience. So in general, I think that sums up a person, it sums up a journey, it sums up a company, a product, anybody who is in that transition mode. Uh, and my only advice to female entrepreneurs, to people who are young, who want to be starting out, taking that risk is uh, definitely remember that you know there will be a failure but that's not the end of it I think that is a generational thing which I'm noticing where uh, we are bound to believe it's do or die I think that should not be a mindset that's a mindset I would uh, definitely request people to ban in their mind it is not do or die ever in life right uh, and that underscores what failure is I mean so what it doesn't work out so what there was there's always something else so do or die mindset is something which i think is really old school we are in the new age there's so much around us so many opportunities so many white spaces so many places where we can innovate and you know gaps that we can fulfill um so never be in the mindset of do or die never take, take off uh, failure as the end of it it's always you know, helping you on a journey where you are building either an experience or going for an experience, but that's the summation you should be aggregating in your personality uh, and in your mindset. And that's something that uh, is my two cents for any female, especially because I know it's a lopsided world at the moment, but, uh, you know, definitely believe on the fact that you should do it, uh, believe in yourself. And I, I mean, it's not the end of it. So do and die, please ban that line. Absolutely. And just with that, what is the number one lesson you think you've learned about one of your failures that you wish to share with other young female founders? What I would share with young female founders is something that comes with failure, which can make it successful is introspection. So this is a wisdom piece, which my grandfather and my father would always tell me is that failure is nothing but a step for you to step on and look at a better height. Uh, and you can only step on it and gain height so that you can look, you know, longer, you can have a, you know, a, a myopic view of what is happening uh, is only and only when you can introspect on it. Uh, so yes, there will be failures, but uh, you have to know that you are able to research on it and most importantly, then develop on it. So, you know, there was a saying that you only know that there are 99 ways to not do it. 
and that's great if you know how to not do it so definitely introspection and to end us off for the podcast we love to ask our guests if you know five years from now we invite a young gen z female entrepreneur onto the podcast what is something that you want to leave on the table for her what is something that you want to leave on the table for the next generation for the next generation of somebody who's picking up the baton the only thing that i would leave for them would be the spirit right uh because where you are five years from now where you have been what you have done is only something uh which can be passed out in spirit so definitely uh, on the table would be a lot of good energy a lot of uh, you know inspiration to pick that baton up and to keep rolling on uh, the impact mission i'm a person who's definitely you know all about impact and i think as a generation which is coming up uh, we have to be impact oriented and that's what i would leave on the table a spirit to build impact i love 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 that and with that in mind i can just tell you you impacted me so 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 much this is one of the most just fantastic conversations i ever had and i wish we could talk for hours and hours about this and i look forward to doing that soon um but for those who want to keep in touch with you and what you're doing where can they find you and the wonderful work that you're doing definitely i think you could if you would like to read up on what we are doing www.goodgoodpiggy.com is the early access page definitely show interest in the product it helps us make it better uh, it helps our investors know that this is a innovation which is of value to the world and so definitely a lot of traction there would help us but if somebody wants to reach out to me i'm available on linkedin um and i'm easily searchable my name is purva agarwal you spell that and hopefully in the podcast description you would be able to see it um other than that i'm very accessible over email i have a good web presence so and you would find me responding if you wrote to me so definitely anywhere on email linkedin is a good place to begin a conversation amazing amazing thank you so 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 much for reaching out i'm just signing up for a good piggy good good piggy right now to get the info and get excited for when products and stuff come out and to share that with younger cousins and friends of mine that i know who have younger kids um and i hope everyone does the same thing we'll attach the link below but thank you so much for coming on and for connecting this was fantastic thank you i think it's a pleasure to be speaking to everybody who's in your network thank you for taking out time for listening to all those people who just heard the entire conversation and thank you for hosting this that wraps it up for today's episode thank you so much for tuning in we hope you learned a lot about purva and financial literacy in today's world thank you to stephanie and win as our podcast producers too Check out our past episodes and look out for our upcoming episodes featuring inspiring female entrepreneurs through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. To stay updated and involved, join the Entrepreneurs Network community on our Instagram and LinkedIn and get in touch with us to share your very own entrepreneurial journey.